This program, of course, is presented by Pro Wrestling Illustrated, the most widely read, widely sold, and respected wrestling magazine in the world today. This is the Pro Wrestling Illustrated Podcast. I'm your host, PWI senior writer, Al Castle, joined once again by my co-host, Brian Solomon. How's it going, Brian? Pretty good, Al. Happy to be joining you once again. Yeah, uh, it's been a little while and uh, not a, a ton going on. I mean, we're kind of past the, the big WrestleMania uh, climax, um, now kind of settling into, um, I don't know, more more doldrums, I guess, of, of, of pro wrestling, at least until, um, I guess, SummerSlam. For for WWE, I know uh, AEW's got a big show uh, coming around. Also, on this episode, uh, after our discussion, uh, we got something uh, really neat. Uh, Brian, uh, just last week, you talked to Jeff Jarrett, and we're going to include some of the audio from your interview with him. What was that like? Yeah, that was a lot of fun, actually. I didn't expect that, and and it kind of came together at the last minute, and I was happy to do it. He's somebody that I actually never had a chance to interview before, even because when I was at WWE, he was, you know, that was those were the early TNA years. So uh, but it was cool. And actually, the occasion for it is that he's got this new podcast again with Conrad Thompson uh, called My World that he's starting up. And actually, at the time we talked, it was right before he started. But now he's got it up and running. Uh, So we talked a little bit about that and a little bit about his career and some of the things that he might be getting into, you know, he's one of those guys that has, has had such an interesting run so many different places he's seen and done so much. He's kind of a natural for a podcast. So, so we talked mainly about that. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, I think Conrad's so smart about, you know, people he taps for these podcasts and Jeff Jarrett uh, is such a natural uh, a choice, right. For, for this kind of thing. I mean, a guy who, was a star in WWE, a star in WCW, ran his own promotion uh, in in TNA, uh, and his, his worked with his dad running his promotion uh, in Memphis all those years, uh, and has so many other uh, incredible stories, many of them tragic when you think about, um, and I don't know how much they're going to go into this in some of these episodes, but but there's there's no shortage of, of stories there, you know, the, 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 the tragic passing of his wife years ago, all the drama with uh, Kurt Angle, uh, with China holding up Vince McMahon for for money, I mean, they're really you you could do episodes on this stuff uh, for years and not run out of material. So, uh, yeah, and and uh, I've always said uh, I have talked to him a couple times. Uh, and I don't know if this was your experience, uh, but of of all the people I've interviewed, uh, one of the more likable characters. I mean, really um, relatable, folksy, uh, a, a guy you jump on the phone with, and uh, it's like you're chatting with an old friend. Yeah, he seemed very down to earth, very approachable. He didn't have kind of like that big star persona where uh, somebody that you don't feel like you can comfortably talk to. You know, he he seems like a genuine guy. That yeah, helped. yeah, absolutely. So stay tuned for that. And also, uh, why don't we talk about uh, both the latest issue of Pro Wrestling Illustrated and one that should be coming up uh, shortly. Uh, the one on newsstands available right now is the June 2021 issue. It has got Bianca Belair on the cover. It's our WrestleMania uh, coverage uh, issue. And uh, lots in here. Um, we've got an interview, a hot seat interview that Kevin uh, conducted uh, with Bianca. Uh, my 
uh, WrestleMania What If section, looking at alternative uh, main events and uh, lots more features on Shotzi Blackheart, on KG Mudo, on Jonathan Gresham, on Miro, uh, and much, much more. We've got Spotlight on the Indies, many, many pages looking at uh, some of the hottest independent promotions uh, in the country. Uh, but before long, uh, later this month, I think maybe a week or two, the digital edition of I think that's our August issue is going to be on sale and uh, lots of there. What, what, what uh, you got in that issue? Do you know? Yeah, I have a couple things. Uh, I've got the, the way it was column, which is my pride and joy, which I decided to do on uh, basically the history of Jim Crockett promotions, because I was thinking a lot about it with the passing of Jim Crockett um, earlier this year. And also because PWI and the Western magazines had such a close relationship with Crockett Promotions uh, in, back in the 80s, I just thought it would be a cool kind of retro thing to do to look back at that. And I've also got the lockup, which in the August issue is going to be all about all of this um, interpromotional stuff that AEW has been doing, you know, most recently culminating in Kenny Omega you know, winning the Impact World title. Right. Yeah. Uh, a busy, uh, busy news uh, in terms of uh, all that. Um, what do I have in this issue? I'm not even sure. Well, you know what? I've got the hot seat uh, interview. Maybe it's too early to say who it is, but uh, I'll just say it is a very, very big name uh, in the sport. Uh, very much a coup to have uh, this wrestler featured in the hot seat interview. And I think that's it. <laughs> and and uh, there's tons more. So maybe a little premature uh, in, in promoting this issue too much. We'll talk about it more uh, in the coming weeks, but it's going to be uh, a good one. Uh, you want to go to pwi-online.com to subscribe either to the current issue, the forthcoming issue, um, or yeah, get all of them. If, if you subscribe, the longer you subscribe, the deeper the savings. If you do the digital edition, it comes to you weeks before the print edition is available. Uh, but certainly if you want the print edition, um, get it delivered right to your mailbox. So you don't have to worry about going to find it at uh, the newsstands. I know that can be harder and harder these days for people. Um, so that's the way to go. pwi-online.com uh, and subscribe. Um, also, you can pick up the Pro Wrestling Illustrated t-shirt at ProWrestlingTees.com. We've also got some shirts at WhatAManeuver.net. You can send us uh, emails at the magazine, PWI at CampaPublishing.com, or the podcast, PWI Podcast at Outlook.com. Uh, please subscribe to the podcast or wherever you get your podcast and kindly leave us a positive review. And uh, follow us on social media at OfficialPWI. Twitter, Instagram. Uh, I may be watching WrestleMania Backlash with you all uh, this weekend, doing some live tweeting. So that should be fun. Uh, before we get into uh, the, the poll, and any thoughts on the, uh, the pay-per-view coming up, I guess, uh, this weekend? Uh, you know, they, they clearly... Backlash, and they haven't always done Backlash, but Backlash kind of has traditionally been sort of like the WrestleMania rematches of pay-per-view, which I think is fine. I mean, it's a big enough card that I think it makes sense to revisit some of these. Um, it looks like a, a fine card on paper. Anything jump out at you? It does look like a really good card on paper. Um, I mean, Backlash is, I mean, they've really, it's like you said, it's always been the follow-up to WrestleMania. But this year, they're really all in on that. I mean, by calling it WrestleMania Backlash, yeah. uh, it's pretty clear. Um, I'm not usually the biggest fan of kind of the triple threats, as you know. But I think it's kind of interesting how they're building on the WrestleMania, some of the WrestleMania matches by making them triple threats. Like, you know, adding Braun Strowman to the WWE Championship 
match and doing the the Raw women's match where you've now got Charlotte in the middle with Rhea Ripley and Asuka. That's probably the one I'm looking forward to the most. Um, and also Bianca and Bailey, which is like such a natural match, you know, to, to sort of make up for Bailey being left out of, of WrestleMania in, in the way that she was. I, I don't think it totally makes up for that, but it is sort of a nice gift to her many, many fans to see her uh, in that match. So that's another one. I, there's a few good ones I'm looking forward to. Yeah, that's kind of the one upside, if you want to call it that, about leaving Bailey off of WrestleMania and, and Charlotte, for that matter, too, is that you've got um, some fresh marquee matches uh, for for this show that otherwise would have, you know, would have also been kind of rehashes. D- do you assume that um, the, the respective brand world champions hold on to their titles? Are you talking about the the women's titles? Uh, well, well, I, I could talk about the men's, but I guess we could talk about all of them. C- Cesaro versus Roman Reigns, um, and then, as you touched on, Lashley uh, versus Braun and um, McIntyre. Any any potential title changes there? I feel like I, I I may wind up wrong on this, but I feel like this is going to be not that it's going to not going to be a great show, but I think it's going to kind of be one of those status quo shows mm-hmm. where we're not a lot of huge change happens. And I think that's fine. Cause I don't think you need to have earth shattering change on every show. Uh, but like I, I, for example, I, I really hope they're not thinking of taking the belt off of Bianca so quickly or Rhea Ripley, to be honest, I, I really feel like they need, especially Rhea Ripley really need to be kept strong right now. So, um, I mean, I'm hoping that doesn't happen. I can't see any, uh, I love Cesaro. I can't see any chance in hell of Roman Reigns not coming out of that uh, still as the world champion. In fact, I, as the universal champion. In fact, I think Cesaro is that perfect challenger who's got a lot of credibility and support, but not quite the guy that you're going to put the belt on right now. So he's, he's a good way to kind of keep Roman Reigns busy for the time being. Again, this is sort of like how, how I might book it. I'm not saying that's how they're going to do it. Um, and the same goes for Lashley. I mean, I, I don't, I just don't, I, I, I don't know. I, as I say it out loud, I know it sounds crazy to think that all four of those people are all going to retain, but I could definitely see that happening. Yeah, I think it's also kind of the most likely scenario. With Cesaro, if, if they want to extend this a bit, I could see some kind of, you know, back in the day it would have been DQ finish. They don't do those that much these days, but some kind of non-finish that would let Cesaro keep his credibility and extend the feud at least another month. Um, I'm not ruling out a title change in um, the uh, the Lashley match um, because they still seem to to be looking at McIntyre as their top babyface on the Raw brand, and the thought might be to to keep him strong. You know, we can move the belt back onto him, back onto Lashley later, that, that kind of thing. Uh, so I, I'm not ruling it out. I think it's more likely than than Reigns um, losing the title. Uh, and for the women, I, I agree, uh, uh, Bianca's got to keep the title. I'm not sure about Rhea Ripley. I mean, I, I, I could definitely, uh, see them maybe having a little bit of buyer's remorse there in that, um, she, she hasn't caught fire the way, uh, they might've hoped. Now you could look at that and say, well, then that's more reason to, to leave the title on her. So, uh, uh, you, you can continue building uh, her, but they also might just want to go to kind of the pat hand and, and, uh, go to Charlotte, who's been off of TV for a while, has that credibility. Uh, so you could go and put the world title on her, uh, right away. So I, I think that's possible that that title could change. Maybe Lashley, uh, drops it to, 
to McIntyre, maybe even Strowman, if they want to build Strowman uh, up and, and have that be the program, Strowman and Lashley. So, uh, but yeah, I, I think there's some, some good stuff uh, on this card and it's, you know, I, I, I kind of like sometimes these sort of pay-per-views that aren't like the most earth shattering, you know, yeah. uh, uh, this kind of these maintenance pay-per-views, especially when the goal is sometimes to to build these champions and, and you do want to see them. I always go back to this is a weird one, but uh, remember Bret Hart's program with uh, the Patriot? Yeah, <laughs> many, no, many that's years ago. a great example. He had a few like that, Bret Hart with Hakushi and, yeah. you know, things like that. Um, I, I think that and uh, Jean-Pierre Lafitte, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, right. you need things like that. That's part because also that era you're talking about, that was really the beginning of the monthly pay-per-views. So they were really faced with that conundrum of like, you know, we're no longer kind of keeping things going on house show programs for like three months. Now we've got to have something happen every month. So I, I think that's unnecessary pressure. And I really think a lot of fans are very unrealistic and unfair when they expect every pay-per-view to, to be like some kind of game changer. You know, I sort of take it to me. It's like when you would go to, you know, Madison Square Garden every month or every other month. You didn't go there expecting the entire world to change every time you, you went there just ex- hoping to see a really good show. And, and if that happens, I'm fine with it. I mean, as for the, as for the, you know, the, 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 the Bobby Lashley match, I actually think if they wanted to, it would be a great opportunity, a great out to get Drew McIntyre out of that title picture in kind of a diplomatic way, because you could then have him work a program with Strowman. Let's say if right. Strowman kind of screws him over and and ruins his opportunity. Then you got McIntyre riding off into the sunset with Braun Strowman and Bobby Lashley can now move on to other challengers. That's what I would do. Anybody jump out uh, at you as, as the obvious next challenger for Lashley? Oh, boy. Um, I don't know. That's a t- I mean, in a perfect world, you want to hear what, what I would do, but they're not going to do this. Shelton Benjamin. Mm, yeah. You got to win on Monday night, right? But I mean, that that still seems far fetched. Right. Yeah. He's not he's not in position for it, but he's got the beef. I mean, you know, if they wanted yeah. to, uh, they could. But you know, it's just that's not going to happen, sadly. Yeah, Keith Lee's a guy who's been off TV, and I don't know what his status is right now. Uh, but he's a guy who I I think you could get up and running certainly by the end of the year to be a, a challenger for Lashley, and I think those could be really good matches. Um, so a, a couple other uh, uh, small things. Uh, what do you think about Ginger Hall re- returning to uh, to television? He's a fascinating guy. It's just it's it seems like a a you know completely different time when he was world champion. Uh, but but you know, uh, I guess he he had a knee injury. That's what he talked about why why he's been off TV. But clearly his absence over the last several years because it's not just like he missed you know six months or even a year of ring time. He just kind of hasn't been um, uh, in the mix for a while. Uh, even when he has been healthy, because we saw him on that India show some months back. So he was healthy, at least back then. Uh, this seems to be kind of the, the latest attempt to get him uh, up and running. Is, is he a worthwhile investment? Um, you know, I actually think so. I, I wasn't I as down, yeah, I, I wasn't as down on his title run as a lot of people were. Actually, I thought it was a nice shakeup. It was a change of pace. It was something different, something you didn't expect, you know, um, I, and I thought they actually kept him strong for a while. What I also like about it, which I don't think it gets enough credit for, is it creates it helps to create this thinking among fans that, you know, anybody has the opportunity to work their way up the ladder. I mean, yes, mm-hmm. he 
he was seen as a jobber for a long time, and that's hard for some guys to come back from. But there's a lot of guys that we saw initially as not, you know, main event talent. So, I mean, I, I kind of like the idea that, hey, this guy climbed the ladder. He worked his way up, and now he's the world champion. You don't have to walk in as world title material. I, I liked it. I, I, I liked how Randy Orton was, you know, doing his damnedest to kind of put him over and make him into – a star and you know i i'd be very curious to see him back in the mix again i i, I kind of like it I, I agree i think sometimes he's kind of given a, a bad rap I, I think he performed admirably as as world champion uh i think he's fantastic shape i think he's an above average promo um you know yeah. he's got a bit of a new look now and it looks credible uh, you know, and, and has some ability in there. You know, he, it's not like he was thinking up the ring every time he went out there. He, he's not, you know, I wouldn't put him in, in the top 10% of, of workers in WWE, but for a guy with, with, uh, his size, uh, I, I think he's more than adequate and yeah, I'm, I definitely think they could use some kind of shakeup and some new faces. So, uh, I'm happy to see it. Uh, other thing I want to touch on, uh, uh Daniel Bryan, uh, Wrestled uh, Roman Reigns a couple weeks ago, got his uh, return title shot on SmackDown, lost. It was billed as essentially a uh, a loser leaves town match. What what a lot of fans didn't know at the time was that his contract actually was up basically the the night that that match aired. And now there's a lot of uh, questions, mystery surrounding about uh, surrounding what what happens with Daniel Bryan. Uh, Any thoughts, any preferences uh, about where he ends up? Well, I think, uh, you know, he's one of those guys. The impression I get is, you know, there, there. He reminds me a little bit in this way of like a Rob Van Dam, a, of a guy who is not primarily motivated by money. You know, I mean, most most wrestlers are, and I can't really blame them. They go where the money goes. He, he, what I mean by that is, I don't think he's the kind of guy that I would immediately say, "Oh, he's going to be an AEW, and that's it." Um, I, I actually don't think that would be his choice. I think he'd be more likely to go where he felt he would truly enjoy himself. I think we might see him go to Japan. We might see him do, you know, a little bit of ring of honor and things like that. Like he's not in a position where, you know, his, his best years are behind him. You know, he's made his name. He's, he's staked his claim in the business. And I think he's probably just kind of looking to go out on his own terms and enjoy himself a little bit before he stops. So I don't see some kind of like, AEW, you know, huge run in his future. Um, I, I get the feeling he's probably not going to re-sign with WWE. I think he'll do exactly what I said, which is like kind of bounce around and have some fun and then call it a career. Yeah, I'm kind of on the same page with you uh, on that. And what I'd really like to see, which would be really kind of refreshing, is uh, if he chooses to leave, to leave with no acrimony and and um, with the understanding being, look, I, I did everything I could do here, and that was a lot. I mean, I I headlined WrestleManias, I have multiple world titles, uh, but I've you know I've I've kind of kind of done it all here. And um, there's some guys in other companies that I'd like to wrestle. I can't do that while I'm here, so uh, maybe it's it's not a a goodbye forever for WWE, but just like you know, my contract is up. I've got some freedom going to work some different places and maybe I come back here to, to retire as a producer, as uh, whatever. I mean, he did some commentary and was fine. I, I absolutely could see him ending his career in WWE and having a, a, you know, post ring career in WWE, but also feeling that um, he, he still um, has a little gas in the tank and there are exciting matchups out there um, that, 
you know, there's there's a limited window to get them in. And like you said, I don't think he's motivated by money uh, so much as um, by by the art of it. He's very much sort of an artist. And he's got to look at um, whether it's Okada or um, Kenny Omega and AEW or, or so many others and be just super curious. I mean, Roosh in, in uh, Ring of Honor, tons of guys. Uh, so, yeah, I could see him kind of doing the Cody thing, right, and, and sort of bouncing cool. around. Uh, and and then maybe down the line, I'm I'm sure AEW uh, would like to to sign up to something long term, and I wouldn't rule that out. Uh, but I I really just hope and and expect that you know the worst thing would be Daniel Bryan showing up on AEW and trashing WWE. Oh, they held me back, this kind of thing, because right. uh, both no. both because it's tired and because I I don't think it's really accurate. Uh, but but I think it'd be fine for him to say, look, I wanted to you know expand my horizons and and um test a lot of the top talent all over the country so uh yeah. i could see that and and you know but i do expect him down the line to get his hall of fame induction and and you know one thing that that uh i also wouldn't rule out is staying in wwe working nxt i mean that's got to be uh maybe potentially pretty attractive for him as well and if he were to do anything with aew at all um i i definitely don't see it as um a long-term kind of full-time thing. I think there there might be a much better chance that they might try to do kind of like a one-time thing because they're more likely to do that kind of thing than WWE where like he he comes in, let's say, for a match with Kenny Omega or something like that. Mm-hmm. And they, they build the hell out of it and it's a pay-per-view and he probably, you know, does the honors and then he's, you know, back on, on his, you know, being a freelancer again. I, I could see that more likely than some kind of a long-term, you know, being a roster guy in AEW. I don't yeah, see. Yeah. But imagine the possibilities. If, if he did have that freedom, imagine him sure. showing up and challenging for the NWA championship against uh, uh, Nick Aldis or. Right. Um, That's the kind of thing I could see him doing that sort of thing, like doing like a, almost like it's a farewell tour, but yeah. no negative connotation to that. But, but yeah, but like a farewell tour different from what Cody did. Cause Cody was having fun and feeling things out. But as we saw with the eventual goal of leading to uh, bigger things, where I think with Brian, it would be more like this is my victory lap kind of thing. You know? Right. Cody was still kind of trying to get established. He he hadn't had that run at the very top. Um, Brian's already been to the top of mountain. So, right. It's it, like you said, a, a, a victory lap. But uh, so many interesting matches out there. So, uh, yeah, certainly curious to see where it goes. All right. Let's talk about the, the PWI poll. Uh, as I said, something has been limited to subscribers in the past. Now we're opening it up with PWIPoll.com. Go there. Uh, it, it's pretty simple. You fill out some information. We try to get to know a little bit more about you as a fan. And then you go ahead and um, answer the questions. I forget how many there are. Let me see. I think it's in the neighborhood of, I don't want to be wrong, but I think it's something like 50 questions. Uh, and uh, I've got them here. So um, to give folks kind of a preview and also just, I guess, to have some fun, I thought we'd go through some of them. Uh, we're, we're, oh, mean we're not going to do all 50 of them. I started to, to fill these out myself, and I thought, is that, I mean, on one hand, I'm a fan, so I guess my voice should count as much as any, but, but I don't want to uh, skew it one way or the other. So we're we're not actually taking the poll, uh, but we are going to go through some of these uh, questions here. Uh, and let's see, I can tell you how many there are. There are, yeah, 50 questions. Okay, no, we are not going to go through 50, but we'll jump around, do one of the ones, some of the, the ones that are kind of staples every year, and maybe also touch on some of the new ones. Um, the first one. 
the best in the world. Who is pound for pound the best wrestler uh, in the world? And uh, in as much as, as the polls already been uh, up for a little while, there are already some responses. And it's really fascinating uh, to see it laid out this way uh, and what some of the responses are. Fun for me because it gives me some options to, to choose from. Uh, anybody j- jump to mind? Are, are we talking about where I could pick anybody or do we have like finite choices in the poll? You can pick anybody. Yeah. Um, uh, I, without giving away uh, any ranking, I'll, I'll give you some names that are in the mix uh, right now. Um, let's see. I actually have a pick in mind. Somebody, some of these are pretty, I, I mean, look, you got some staples, you got AJ Styles, you got um, Okada, um, Will Ospreay, Naito, uh, but also some surprising names here. So, and, and, and who do you think? I would actually, my vote would go to Walter right now. I have to say, okay. because he's somebody who, uh, Every time he's out there, it's guaranteed to be a classic match, like like a match of the year candidate. Uh, and just by virtue of the fact now, you know, he he's not quite as on the radar, right? Because he's the UK guy, and he, but he's been NXT UK champ now for like over two years. Or yeah, it's more. the longest WWE title reign for what it's worth uh, since, since Hulk- the 80s, I think. Yeah. It's the longest title reign in the company since Hulk Hogan had, you know, his big run in the 80s, yeah. Crazy. But, I mean, uh, uh, you, you know, uh, he's not as high profile here in America, but, boy, the times that I have seen him, I, I've said that in my head, watching him, like, I think this guy might be the best in the world right now. So so he'd be my vote. Walter. Yeah, it's fascinating, yeah. I, I'm going to uh, go a different route, and and it's an, a name that, and, and granted, very few replies so far. We're, we're, you know, yet to really get this out um, on on a major level with the next magazine and um, with the show. Uh, we expect a, a lot more responses to come in. Uh, but person I'd have, and we we just mentioned him, is Cody. I I think Cody, in terms of the complete package of what a professional wrestler should be, uh, is the, the the most complete package right now in the ring. Um, the, the character, the entrance, the way he carries himself, uh, promos, all of it. To me, it is must-watch TV every time um, Cody comes through that curtain um, and delivers, uh, again, in the ring as well, fantastic storytelling. I mean, whether it is, you know, something like with, with his his brother uh, that matches Peter Bay match a year a couple of years ago or MJF or all the way to QT Marshall. I mean, guys who um, you would not expect – you could get like that four star plus performance out of he he gets him out of um, almost everybody and you know part of it is his proficiency uh, athletically in the ring but I think so much more of it is his ability to um, to, to to put emotion in storylines and really uh, you know it's a cliche but but tell a story in the ring I think he's the best at it so uh, he's my pick uh, let's see uh, on that note if you could choose. To watch uh, matches of only one active wrestler, who would you choose? There's some some overlap between those two, but, but it's not exactly uh, the same because, um, you know, th- I, this probably gets more into sort of excitement and things like that. Uh, any thoughts? Yeah, you know, for that, and it's not just because you mentioned the name, but for that category, I could see myself voting for a Cody. Uh, actually, for the reason that you mentioned, just the fact that um, he, he really stands out especially in AEW. And and I do think part of that, I have to say, is that there are a lot, there are a lot of guys in AEW who aren't quite as polished, at least in my opinion, in the ring as what you might see in WWE. And, but, but Cody definitely is. 
And boy, uh, he stands out. And there's times where he'll have a match on a show and you just you're reminded of what great storytelling in the ring can be. Like I think of the match he had with Jericho. That one really stands out to me where it was like the jewel of of that car that it was on. And, you know, it's almost like in, in a way it's, you know, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, whatever it is. Uh, whether it's genetics or whether it's just being around it, um, he has that ability to really get you emotionally involved uh, in his matches. So I, I'd go with Cody. Yeah, yeah. For me, I got to think here, um, and, and Cody would definitely be uh, in the mix, but in terms of like track record for great matches, uh, who's really at the top? And um, I think I'd have to go with Okada, even though obviously I, d- I don't see him work as much as uh, I see a lot of American wrestlers work. But I've also haven't seen many, if any, bad Okada matches, right? And and uh, mm-hmm. most of them are pretty great. Uh, so uh, yeah, just in terms of of the resume, the track record. Uh, gosh, they're also very long. So if you were stuck on that island, uh, it's a lot of content just to get you through the days. Uh, let me jump around here. Uh, this is a good one. Interesting. Uh, and, and something's challenging these days. Uh, actually, we might end up with, with <laughs> repeating yet uh, the same answer. Who's pro wrestling's great baby face? Yeah, see, now it, it's going to get really boring because I, <laughs> I have to say Cody. But, I, I mean, since I just said Cody, if I was pressed to pick somebody else, I would say Moxley. Um, okay. I, I think Moxley is right up there, too. He's sort of like, I mean, this is the cliche a lot of people call him like the reincarnation of Roddy Piper. I think he's a way better babyface than Piper was. I always liked Piper better as a heel, uh, but but he's uh, he's he's intense. Like he's a very different kind of babyface than than Cody. Cody is more of that classic like yeah. white meat, you know, passionate babyface. Whereas whereas Moxley is you know the 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 loose cannon the rough edge kind of like almost like in the Austin mold but maybe yeah. with a little bit more of a say, sense yeah, of humor more the antihero yeah you know what it is he's <laughs> this is crazy I'm gonna I'm gonna patent this if I say it first he is like if you mix if you blended Stone Cold Steve Austin and Brian Pillman into one movie yeah. face you would get John Moxley and so yeah I, I'm gonna go with him only because I just said Cody and I'm trying to change things up but I do but I do believe he's it, it, he's right up there absolutely right up there. Yeah, I, I also was inclined uh, to to pick Cody, um, and I think when he when he's playing babyface and he's at his best, uh, there are none better because um, he delivers that kind of earnest babyface thing w- without um, the kind of saccharine quality that turned off some people to like John Cena, uh, you know. It, and and um, in in 2021, it, it and for a long time now, it it's sort of hard to pull off like the the good guy that fans want to get behind, even if he is sort of like righteous and stand for what's right. And Cody's been great um, with that over the last few years, but he's also I think sometimes kind of ridden the fence. Um, whether it was like with the stuff with Shaq or some others, uh, he he sometimes there's a little inconsistency and seems to kind of. Um, uh, you know, go with with sort of the the, the winds and and if a uh, storyline calls for him to play a little more edgy heel, he'll oh. do that. So maybe not as as consistently a babyface, but when he is a babyface, I think he's the best. Um, uh, another name that that uh, I see up here, which I think is really interesting, and I don't know if um, if this year uh, this person should win it, but but I could certainly see in in a year from now, Bianca Belair. 
uh, and and certainly coming off of WrestleMania. We've talked a lot about that. I mean, if if you weren't inspired by her win uh, at WrestleMania, I, I don't know that that you have a heart. And um, it, it's kind of the same thing. I mean, she she stands for like hard work and all that stuff, and yet it's easy to get behind her, right? I mean, it's not sort of like embarrassing to be uh, a Bianca Belair fan. Uh, so yeah, I absolutely see her in the mix here. And she's surprisingly great as a promo too, because I don't think she gets enough credit for that because she just comes across as so real. And and that's really hard to do in wrestling. It's very hard to do. I mean, it's a little bit easier for faces to do than heels generally because you don't have to play it up as much. But she really just comes across so real and so earnest. And I think it's because in large part it is, you know, just who what she puts out there as herself is just so um, easy to to buy into and to get behind. She's uh, she really is a natural in every way. Yeah. So the other side of that coin, uh, you just touched on who is wrestling's uh, best heel. Best heel. Uh, you know, I had somebody in mind for this, and then I drew drew a complete blank. So I'm going to let you go first while I try to remember who my pick was. There, there's a couple. Uh, the one that I think has been in the mix for for a long time, which is not my pick. I I, I mean, I think he'd be in the top three, but um, I think he's maybe taken a little bit of a step back. Is MJF? You know, very much cut from from the the traditional cloth uh, of a heel, despicable, all that. Maybe sometimes too much. You know, maybe sometimes uh, kind of straddles that line of cartoonishly heel. Uh, but to me, this is clear, and it's Roman Reigns. Uh, and and uh, I think Roman Reigns is not just the best heel in wrestling now. I think he's the best heel we've seen in in many years. And I because WWE is. Um, can be so inconsistent. Every time he goes out there, I'm sort of half waiting for them to ruin it, <laughs> you know, especially as he gets like into new storylines. I'm like, oh, this is going to be the week that they kind of drop the ball. And they don't, you know, and we saw last week them introducing now uh, Jimmy Uso into it. And I was like, oh, they're going to botch this. And I was super intrigued. I thought he was, you know, I think it adds like this extra layer to the the whole storyline uh, where, um you know, Jimmy feels uh, an allegiance certainly to his brother and even bigger than that to his family, but also doesn't want to, you know, be kind of the errand boy to Roman and maybe looks down a little bit uh, on Jay for, for doing that. Uh, but but the whole way, uh, Roman is just spot on. The, the tone is perfect. Everything he does is perfect. He's despicable. Uh, he's sickening. And it it's... The, the classic case of waiting for somebody to come around to give him his comeuppance. Yeah. You know, again, uh, that was the name that I drew a blank on for sure. <laughs> <laughs> it's Roman Reigns. He is doing the best stuff that he's ever done right now. It's fantastic. And, you know, there's a couple of things that come to mind is it, it, it makes me think of how obvious it was all this time. You know, everyone always wanted him to turn and it it makes me think, you know, maybe, and I can't be the first person to think this, that they might have had similar results years back if they had the courage to turn Cena heel. You know what I mean? They might have been able to do something similar because I know that was always the thing with him, whereas we can freshen him up by making him a heel. Uh, but Reigns is just doing it incredibly well. And, and every now and then when I come across somebody who will just crap on Roman Reigns and talk about how he's the worst thing on TV or whatever, you know, like it's 2017. And I will say, clearly you are not watching right now 
you're just aping an opinion that you had three or four years ago. Because if you were currently watching week to week, you would not be saying that because he has turned things around so completely to me. And yeah, he, he is the best heel in wrestling for sure. And, and like you said, the best WWE heel in a long time. I mean, obviously Lesnar's up there, you know, I would say Lesnar and Reigns have been the best heels of the decade for sure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, so, uh, different categories here in the poll and obviously because of the year we have lived in uh we've got a a series of uh COVID-19 related wrestling questions so uh I'll share some of these you know there this is more about people's individual preferences and and uh, not necessarily right or wrong uh or anything we have to pick any anyone um so there's questions here about you know have you attended a pro wrestling show over the last year and uh but here's one um Here's one. Uh, given the distribution of vaccines and current precautionary measures, will you consider attending a live pro wrestling event in the next three months? So I'll ask you both for for you and and what you think the public will say. I have to say that for me, it. Dep- I mean, I'm dying to go back. I can't wait. I know there's people that are just, you know, some people are acting like, you know, they're going to be you know, lo- locked up behind doors for the rest of their life or something. You know, I'm I'm not as soon as I get the all clear officially, you know, I'm burning the masks in a bonfire. <laughs> I'm through the streets, kissing everyone I see. I mean, I, I'm that guy. I can't wait. I'm dying to take my son who's now, you know, he's four years old. I feel like he's getting to that age where he could really start to enjoy it. He's way into it. He watches a lot of it with me. I can't wait to start taking him. Now, if we're talking three months, so this is May, uh, by the end of summer, I could see that. Yes, I could see by the end of summer Again, it depends on where society at large is at by then. I feel like the 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 track we're on right now, it seems to me that by end of summer, things could be pretty well on the road to being fully back to normal again. So I could see both me and I think the public at large, I think end of summer is a good goal for for that kind of thing. I know WWE is talking about going back to full touring by that time, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I guess the, the latest uh, report out there is that SummerSlam is maybe in Madison Square Garden, and, and if that's the oh, case, I absolutely want to be there. Uh, yeah. yeah, I agree that uh, I think uh, my answer uh, is yes, and I think overwhelmingly readers are going to say yes. If you asked me this even three months ago, I would have had a very different answer, but um, I think the country has kind of turned uh, a corner. I mean, I think that is apparent from vaccination rates, and um, when you look ahead to three months, so that takes us, uh, what, into July, August. Um, yeah, there's all indications that this country, you, you don't want to say out of the woods, but in a much, much better place. Uh, and, and I mean, I already went to a wrestling show and, and I went to WrestleMania, but I was fully vaccinated before I went to WrestleMania. And it was outdoors and WWE did take uh, measures in terms of mask and distancing. So um, I, I felt OK going to WrestleMania. Uh you know, right now, if there was um, a, a show at my local arena indoors, uh, I mean, f- being fully vaccinated, I think I'd still be uh, OK. But I'd understand folks, especially who are not vaccinated, n- being uneasy about it, rightfully so. Uh, but both on the assumption that that the majority of eligible Americans will be uh, vaccinated in, in three months um and that there'll still be some some uh precautionary measures in place uh yeah i think this is going to be a a strong yes um 
It's an interesting one. Have you found yourself watching more or less wrestling since the onset of the pandemic? Um, I would say more, but with a caveat, which is that um, the the reason I say more is that I've added so much old school stuff to what I watch yeah, now. That's you know, it. Yeah. Trapped in the house. Like I think in terms of like current stuff, it's probably the same because I keep up with it pretty closely, obviously. I mean, to do what we do. But I've added a lot more like digging into the network, going through YouTube, you know, w- with a lot of downtime, you know, kind of like binge watching, you know, Mid-South Wrestling or Mid-Atlantic, you know, from the 80s or watching like old Madison Square Garden cards and old episodes of Superstars. I've definitely been doing a lot more of that in the past year. I mean, I I like to do that anyway, but I've just uh, it's been it, it's not even just been having time. It's also a lot of people talk about like comfort viewing, you know, like in a crazy traumatic time, you watch stuff that brings you comfort, whether it's old movies or whatever. You know, for me, it's old school wrestling. Like that's the stuff that gives me like the warm, fuzzy, safe, happy place feeling. And so I've been watching a lot of it lately. Yeah, I mean, I basically uh, ditto that. I, I agree. And I think that's probably a common experience by a lot of wrestling fans. Home a lot more in front of a TV or a screen a lot more. Um, if you're a wrestling fan, like you said, you're going to kind of turn to uh, the familiar, the comfortable. So watch a lot more wrestling, but a lot more old wrestling. Um, and I mean, I've, I've also I've probably did a net increase in everything. I mean, I've, I've probably watched more um, Ring of Honor, more Impact, all that than, than I did before. I mean, the reality is that kind of pre-COVID, right? I mean, most people's reality was you're at the office during most of the day then you're home uh in the evening and you got to have dinner you got to you know take care of whatever you know do homework with the kids all that stuff you've got limited sort of viewing um hours uh so yeah more more time to be in front of tv is going to mean more watching of wrestling uh i think uh i saw another interesting one here uh, well, there's there's two. These are two different questions. I'll, I'll ask them both, um, even though they're they're separate here. Uh, do you think wrestling, the wrestling industry, handled COVID nineteen better or worse than other sports? And uh, separately, do you think the wrestling industry handled COVID nineteen better or worse than other fields of entertainment? Uh, that's really broad, though, because there's so yeah. many different groups right i mean it, right you've I, got I, an, on one ex- extent like the nba that i think uh, most people felt did a, a, a pretty good job and then you've got major league baseball that i don't think did as as good a job then you've got ufc right. somewhere in the middle um and everything else broadway movies what have you yeah i mean broadway handled it the best of all they just shut I down yeah, I don't know that they have much of a choice in it, but yeah. they're still not back. You know, you know, I mean, you you can't get safer than that. Just shut it down. Um, I, I I think that wrestling as a whole business probably didn't handle it as well as most other forms of sports or entertainment, just by virtue of the fact that, you know, there really wasn't. I mean, there were precautions, but there wasn't ever any kind of a true hiatus. Where I I think they probably could have been served by even just a couple of months of you know, we talked about this back then of doing best of, of doing highlight shows The God knows they have the content just until you figure things out instead of having this weird, like, we're just going to power through it and make it up as we go along. I don't think that was the smartest thing. I, and, and I think it kind of vacillated back and forth. Like I think in the very beginning, I felt like AEW was doing a better job than WWE. 
then I think it it flopped, and I think WWE wound up kind of figuring it out in a better way, whereas AEW seemed to be more like not really adapting as well as they could have. So it was uh, it it vacillated a, a lot for me in the end. It was, but but I do think that the business as a whole, you know, it's just built on this forward momentum. They don't know how to stop. They don't know how to quit, even in the light of something like this. I think it would have been smart if they kind of um, if they took a little bit of a break, not not to the point where they'd just be starting up again now. But I mean, they could have taken a few months off. I think they should have. Yeah. What what I think is interesting about these questions is that they're also kind of open to interpretation as far as um, what do you mean by by doing better or, or worse than these other industries? Is it better or worse? Erring on the side of of caution and protecting um, your your employees and the public, or is it better or worse in terms of providing entertainment to your fans? Right. So some people would um, look uh, down on some um, wrestling companies in that they didn't do enough in terms of, of live shows, right? Uh, look, you know, for the same reason, same reason that some folks would hold up like a ring of honor as really kind of the example of, of how to, to really go above and beyond in terms of taking precaution. They did shut down for many, many months. And even now we're still operating in a bubble. Other people would say, screw ring of honor. I want my wrestling. And they didn't give it to me for, for uh, a number of months and, and WWE uh, never stopped. So, um, yeah, it's all relative. I think big picture now with a little, I mean, we're not, again, not out of the woods altogether now, but I think we can look now on the last year with, with some hindsight. Um, it's tough, you know, if, if it was a direct comparison to a sport, any individual sport, it would be um, easier. But uh, I think on the whole, um, wrestling companies, did something about it, right? I mean, you, you look at, uh, for a while, UFC was really the model um, for for how to put on shows in the pandemic um, <clears throat> in that they did the bubble and, um, um, you know, created a space where, without fans, where they could put on shows. And then a few weeks ago, they went and just did 17,000 fans in Jacksonville, no capacity restrictions, no mask requirements. Uh, so I think that that maybe, you know, changes people's perception of how good a job they did. But I, I do think uh, w- combined with uh, considering the precautions taken by um, wrestling companies, you, you do also have to consider, well, what did they do to keep the show um, uh, going? And if only in, in that respect, WWE receives a lot of credit, uh, deserves a lot of credit for all the the innovation that they did with the the Thunderdome and, and other stuff that, that they did um, and that they were able to provide entertainment uh, in the middle of the pandemic. Could they have done, you know, by and large, uh, WWE did consider the health of fans. I mean, they've put on until now still two live events in more than a year. And those were uh, whatever, a quarter capacity. Um, so they deserve credit for, for some of that too, maybe less for uh, uh, protections of, of their employees, their performer, performers. And we have heard about these flare-ups and breakouts of COVID over the year. So I don't know, maybe I'd give them, 
I don't know, a B, B minus, something like that. Um, other companies get a little bit better. I, th- I think Ring of Honor maybe gets a little bit better, others a little worse. Um, and it really depends on the sport that you're comparing it to. Um, let's see. The influencers, these are uh, fun questions also. Um, assuming Vince McMahon, this is every year we have this one. Assuming Vince McMahon is the most powerful, influential person in pro wrestling, who is the runner up? This one feels kind of obvious. Does it feel obvious? Now you're making me feel dumb for not. <laughs> well, it's man runs one company, and who runs the well, other? Well, I mean, you could. I guess you could say Tony Khan, right? But but it 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 depends on the definition of influential, right? I mean, I there's also there's like power behind the throne kind of people. I think Dave Meltzer will has mm-hmm. been and always will be hugely influential. Uh, his yeah. name is probably not known though to most casual fans, but you know he's the guy that still now everybody wants to know what he has to say, what his opinions are on things. He he is and has been a tastemaker, and he's had a huge part to play even in the growth of AEW. So I think he's a name that's up there. And I, the more I watch wrestling outside of WWE, I, I'll put it as a caveat, I think outside of WWE, somebody who's emerging in his own cantankerous way as hugely influential as Jim Cornette, mainly because yeah. – you see all these guys that are doing things in response against him. But so in his own weird way, he's influencing things. Now you've got people using catchphrases and lines that that come out of his own criticisms of the business on his podcast. I've seen it in AEW. I've seen it in MLW. I've seen it in Ring of Honor. Like I said, the only place I haven't really seen his influence is WWE. Uh, but but uh, he's another one that comes to mind as a behind the scenes influential person. But yeah, I mean, Tony Khan, of course, you know, that's the easy answer. Yeah, yeah. I, I do think like those other COVID questions, some of this is up for interpretation in what does it mean to be influential in, in wrestling? And I think once upon a time, uh, and maybe still for a lot of people, uh, you think, yeah, well, who are the the power brokers in pro wrestling? Vince McMahon in WWE, um, Triple H, Stephanie McMahon, uh, Tony Khan, you know, whoever else is running a major wrestling company. But you know, in, in the same way that the the term influencer has has changed uh, its meaning a lot, and now you've got people like. Um, you know, Logan Paul and Jake Paul, who are big YouTube influencers. And there's, there's it, it's fascinating. I mean, you, you, you've got kids. It's fascinating what constitutes a celebrity uh, these days. And very often it's like hard to pinpoint even like what they do for a living. Uh, but they just have tons of people who follow them. There, There's some um, uh, equivalent of that in, in wrestling through podcasts and stuff like that. Uh, one name that, that I brought up a couple of years ago that I expected um, to see uh, on the poll and um, uh, maybe gained votes over the years was uh, Conrad Thompson. Um, you oh, know, yes. yes. Who is, is, is got like now uh, the, this whole empire of podcasts has been able to resurrect the careers of a lot of people who uh, were out of the wrestling business for, for a, a long time and has also had a hand in influencing um, the product uh, on TV, certainly in AEW with some connections he has there. So, um, and as you touched on uh, Jim Cornette, other people who who have a voice, a reach, um, yeah, that, that that's changed a lot. So uh, yeah, I expect to see uh, more of those there. Um, what else? Maybe we'll just do one more here and wrap it up. 
there, I mean, there's tons of fun stuff here. Just going through what is the best wrestling promotion outside the U.S. Assuming New Japan is the most influential Japanese wrestling promotion, which is the runner-up. Uh, stuff about value or prestige of world titles. Um, here's a, there's some fun PWI related questions, so maybe those are worth us doing. Uh, should Pro Wrestling Illustrated rank women wrestlers who don't compete for heavyweight championships, i.e., those in WWE, AEW, and stardom, in the PWI 500? So this is something that that you know we've wrestled with, no pun intended, um, increasingly so in, in the last couple of years. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I do fall in the category of people who think that it should be a combined list. I think it would, uh, and not even you know part of it is equity and and giving the women um, a, a greater platform and not kind of putting them into their own little genre, right? But the other thing is I think it would even strengthen the 500 itself. Um, I think there's probably a lot of male indie wrestlers who wouldn't be thrilled, but but I think it winds up being a stronger list because you've got more names on there that people, that readers recognize and appreciate and see a lot of their work. Um, so I, I think it would be beneficial all around for it to be a combined male-female list. And I, I also still think even just by the nature of the business and by the nature of who's pushed and positions people are in, I mean, it's still going to be a predominantly male-dominated list. It's not yeah. like all of a sudden it's turning into 250 men and 250 women. It's not. And let, let's not pretend that. You know, you get people that raise these phony complaints. Um, I, I do think it would be um, an improvement, definitely. Yeah. You know, you ask me this question different days and I'll have different answers, you know, so I don't know that I feel super strongly one way or the other. I, I can be swayed. Um, th there was some discussion about this last year, and, and I think we even did a roundtable where um, we had some female journalists giving their thoughts. Uh, if you ask me today, I would vote no. Uh, and I think my main reason, well, I, you, with, with a caveat, I would vote no and maybe rebrand the PWI 500 to being essentially the men's 500, right? To, to, to make it clear that we do have two different lists, uh, a men's list and uh, a women's list. And maybe that means, well, by necessity, that would mean excluding women from uh, the men's list, but at least we would remove any confusion. And, and for me, really, um, of all the arguments that, that I heard, I think the one um, that was the most compelling to me is that uh, un unless we continue doing both, right? If and and I don't know what the point of that would be. It would be a PWI 500 that was open to men and women, and then separately um, the the women's 100 that would just be women. Um, then you actually, assuming that that combining the list would mean doing away with the women's 100, you there's probably a lot of women that would end up losing um, the, the notoriety that comes with, with being included in the women's uh, 100. And you can argue that it's actually more notoriety than the, the PWI 500 because uh, with, with fewer pages and fewer slots, I, you know, typically we, we include photos for uh, all the women. And um, the reality is there's a lot fewer women in wrestling, wrestling than there are men. So um, I would think a higher percentage of women uh, get ranked than than male wrestlers. Uh, so, uh, no, I, I so think. Sorry, go on. Yeah. No, go ahead. I was going to say you, that made me think of something. 
it might not be a, a, such a we're, we're brainstorming out loud here, but I wonder what the logistics would be if there were a way to kind of poll women in the industry, as many as we could get yeah. and, and get their opinion on it, whether they'd like to be put in with the men or not. That might be interesting to see what the results would be. Yeah, because I do think if you do the if, if you open it up completely, then you got to get rid of the women to 100. It doesn't make sense to have yeah. both. Well, of course, um, you, you, you can't. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, I, I, I get that some people would be uneasy about rebranding the PWI 500, you know, essentially the men's 500. Uh, but maybe it's it's just a reflection that there are more men in wrestling than women. And neither list is uh, more important or more prestigious. It's just an acknowledgement that these are separate categories. So, uh, but again, it, we'll have this conversation again in an hour, and I'll have a completely different position depending on what arguments I, I listen to. Uh, so uh, one last one, and it is um, our what we typically traditionally uh, have as our last question in the poll each year, which is always fascinating for a number of reasons. Uh, do you feel the public perception of pro wrestling is better or worse than it was five years ago? This always necessitates doing some math. It's like, all right, where were we five years ago? So that would be uh, 2016. I think it, it's probably better just by virtue of the fact that there's more going on now than there was then. I, I feel like AEW in general seems to have somewhat raised the profile of pro wrestling a bit more, uh, brought in some new eyeballs and, you know, there's been some mainstream crossover. And, and I think there's also been a recognition that even among casual fans and viewers that now there's a little bit more going on. It's not just a WWE show anymore. And I think that's probably helped the perception of the business from where it was five years ago. Because when I think of perception, it's not just, you know, um, perception in terms of like, you know, do people have a positive or negative opinion of it? It's also perception of how healthy it is as a business. Uh, and, uh, you know, because it's been for a long time now been running the risk of becoming kind of like a cultural footnote. And I think it's more robust now than it's been in a long time. Yeah, I, I largely agree. I think AW has made all the difference in the world. If, if you rewind uh, to 2016 and think about kind of where wrestling was, right? So, um, you, you had WWE, which I think, you know, John Cena was probably still uh, in that he, he was already starting to be phased out, but he was still kind of the guy in WWE. And um, at least among some fans, maybe a lot of fans, there was some staleness associated to that. Uh, they were trying to get Roman Reigns up and running, but it wasn't really working, uh, obviously, in terms of a baby face. And then in terms of, of competition, um you know, in New Japan, you you already had um, the beginning of, of this era of, of Okada um, having these incredible matches. He's probably still working with Tanahashi at the time, I think. Um, but I don't know how much of that had uh, made it to the mainstream, at least, of um, American pro wrestling uh, fans. And then other than that, what was the competition? I mean, Impact was probably, I mean, not knowing exactly what was going on at the time, Impact was probably... As they they had been for many many years. Those are the pre anthem years, which were were not good, uh, by and large. Ring of Honor was this was probably the era Ring of Honor was doing pretty well. Um, I don't know. This is when they were kind of running around with the Bucks and stuff and doing some big houses. Uh, but yeah, it uh, when I think 2016, uh, I think a little bit of staleness in pro wrestling, and at least since then, 
in in WWE. Um, obviously, you know Roman Reigns uh, is doing a terrific job right now. It does feel fresh. Uh, they have elevated some people, uh, Drew McIntyre and some others. There are some fresh faces at the top. Uh, but yeah, AW I think is the the big difference maker. You you for the first time since WCW, and not even the WCW we had toward the end. First time since you know WCW. Maybe at the prime, you know, 96, 97, you have a viable alternative, even if some of the metrics don't always show it. I mean, you don't want to exaggerate um, the the business success of AEW. Uh, ratings wise, they're they're right there with WWE these days. Uh, but but that aside, just in terms of a quality, well-produced product with stars and, and big matches and, and all that, they're right there. So um, it is a, a legit um alternative and competitor wwe so yeah that makes uh, uh all the difference so yeah i i agree all right again uh you guys uh you want to take all there are many 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 more questions we only uh, uh touched on a few of them here 50 questions all together uh really thought-provoking stuff go to pwipoll.com won't take you very long um fill it out and have your voice included in the pwi poll all right right now uh brian why don't you throw uh to your interview Sure. This was an interview that I recently did with Double J Jeff Jarrett talking about uh, his debuting My World podcast. So please take a listen because he's got a very interesting preview of some of the things that he's going to be talking about on this new show that he's doing. Let's hear it. Uh, This is Brian Solomon (laughs) with the PWI podcast, and I'm here with a third generation wrestling promoter, Hall of Famer, multi-time world champion, and the man who really, really loves to spell his own name. It's J-E-F-F-J-A-R-R-E-T. That's double J double J, Jeff Jarrett. Welcome, Jeff. Hey Brian. How you doing, my friend? I appreciate you having me on. And uh yeah, you uh you gave some nice titles, third generation promoter, like to spell my name. And uh you're leaving off uh, I guess the more appropriate one today, and uh brand new podcaster. That's right. That's right. Then that's what I definitely <laughs> want to get into because, um, you know, it's a funny thing, but it, podcasting and wrestling is all, all the rage right now. And it's like uh, so many people that have great stories to tell. It's just a great time to be doing this because in the, in, you know, in the old days, we, you know, we didn't get to hear these stories as much. It was really hard to get a, a platform, right? Yeah. And, you know, just the evolution of, of um, I guess we'll say all forms of entertainment because, We live in the on-demand society, on-demand entertainment, Netflix, Hulu. I mean, even YouTube, you know, uh, the wrestling fan can go and pull up a match on the network or or YouTube and and go back 30 years, 40 years, 20 years, 10 years. And so uh, the podcasting, uh, I'll say, form of entertainment fits right in that in a real nice way, uh, in a unique way. It's it's really compelling to to flip on a podcast and – I'm excited about it. Uh, you know, through through the uh, pandemic, uh, a lot of things have evolved, uh, not just in, in in our industry, but but in all forms of entertainment. So, uh, podcasting uh, to me, and when I look at the numbers and the data that Conrad shared with me, it's in a lot of ways it's exploding. So, uh, I'm I'm uh, I'm happy to be a part of the podcast world now. And so, you mentioned Conrad, so I have to say uh, you're doing it with Conrad Thompson, and I think. I think there's like some law somewhere that every wrestling podcast has to be with Conrad Thompson, at least if you're, <laughs> if you're a big name in the business. Uh, so I'm kidding, but, but I mean, he's got a lot of great ones, right? I mean, uh, how did that, how did you guys connect? How did that come to happen? 
So, um, you know, and my world's very appropriate because uh, kind of I would say, I, I want to talk about your world because it, it, you know, spans and just this year, I mean, just this month, I celebrated my, I'm celebrating my 35th year in the industry. Uh, but, but in 2017, uh, when Bruce Pritchard came to work for me, um, that he just sort of launched something to wrestle with and Conrad. And uh, that's the first time that, that, you know, I, I was really starting to wrap my head around it. Me and Bruce had a few, I mean, very topical conversations, but then 2018, I met Conrad and he immediately said, Hey man, why don't you think about it? And I really had no interest in it. Um, not, not Conrad, but, but just no interest in doing any podcast. I'd done Conan's and look, as a part of Wrestle Kingdom 9, I probably did 50 or 60 podcasts back in those days to promote Wrestle Kingdom 9. So I knew the, the form of entertainment, but, but I, you know, that's all moving forward. That's how I, my mindset was thinking about podcasts. But hearing Bruce, hearing Eric Bischoff, uh, JR, Tony, Arn, Kurt, you, you know, Conrad's um, a stable, so to speak, or faction, if you will, um, you know, it, it made me uh, begin to think of uh, things a little bit different. And then um, to get sort of right to the meat of it, last year when pandemic happened, the pandemic really first started happening. Um, and I don't know if you watched it, but The Last Dance, the Michael Jordan documentary, um, that really made me open my eyes to a little bit of a slant that I'm a basketball fan, basketball junkie, love Michael Jordan, his career and his tenacity and everything about it. But when I watched him have that computer laptop in his, in, his, in his hands and watch a scene that went back in time and then sort of tell a story and, and the narrative and the emotion that came out of him, which connected with me, I, I began to look and like, you know, I've got 35 years of stories and I know, you know, firsthand knowledge on, on the story behind the story. Uh, and so Conrad kept pushing and you got to give it to him. He's very persistent. And then when he started laying out, you know, the blue chip sponsors and, and the sponsorship ability and, and just all the, the, the platforms around the world, um, I really began to give it a serious thought and then roll through early 2021 uh, with, with all the different moving parts, it really felt that the time was right for me to, all right, let's do this. The stars of the line, Conrad has stayed, stayed super persistent, and uh, I'm ready to jump off and uh, talk about my world and, and and dig right into it. And so just so we know, because I don't think we've officially said it yet, but the name of the show is My World, right? My World with, my world with Jeff Jarrett. Drops Tuesday, May 4th, and every Tuesday after that, uh, you can go to realjeffjarrett.com and get all the information. But yeah, it starts uh, May 4th, uh, Tuesday, and every Tuesday, uh, following up from that. And, you know, you were saying before, what you were saying really resonated with me about how, you know, it was always your instinct to just keep looking forward, looking ahead. And that really is kind of like the classic promoter mindset. You're always looking sure. for the next show. You're not really thinking so much about history or the past. So you're moving on. You know, you know, your next show is going to be your best show, or you want it to be anyway. So, sure. But the thing is, you know, you've got it's really it really comes down to the people that have the best stories and, and the, those turn out to always be the best podcasts. And you have this incredible career where it's like you have been so many places and so many integral parts of wrestling history. I mean, you know, uh, starting in Memphis in, in, in the later years of that territory and, you know, WWF, WCW. TNA and Impact and, and, and New Japan. I mean, you mentioned it. So, I mean, you know. and you Mexico. Did, right, <laughs> Mexico right. as well. 
Did I miss any continents? Right. I mean, it's just, it's all there. Um, is there anything, and I don't want to, I know you're saving it for the podcast, but when you think about things that you want to get into, right. Or you're already thinking in your head of stuff that you definitely want to talk about, maybe things people have never heard before or want to hear more about. You know, this is day five of the My World PR Tour. And, and the, the, this entire week, it's really got my head spinning. Now, to, to get right up front about it, the deal that me and Conrad have, he's in charge of topics because, right. you know, I, I've learned a long time ago, as far as producing yourself, what I think may be of interest might not be of interest to, to, to you know, the podcast listener. Sure, I'm going to have a, a collaboration on it and I'm going to have my input, but Conrad is the, the final say-so. Um, but, you know, there's stories and and uh, I've done a lot of uh, press uh, in the United Kingdom and, and my career, um, a, a lot of things happened uh, at TNA on an international front, um, uh, dating back to 1993 when I wrestled at uh, Royal Albert Hall. I mean, there, there's stories in the United Kingdom that 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 I know are going to be uh, you know a part of my entire story. We just I just referenced Mexico because, and, and you know. That was, uh, I've had some of my greatest success. Um, they love to hate me down there. I'll just say that. So uh, the longest reigning uh, world champion for AAA uh, in, uh, as an inter- international guy. Uh, the Bullet Club, like you mentioned, in Japan, but you could also go back to the early days. SWS and Tenru and Cowboy Bob Orton was my partner and going to Australia and the WWA All-Star. So everybody knows the I guess the 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 the, the WWF stories or the WCW stories and and certainly the TNA stories, uh, but there, there's there's a like you said a little bit of everything there, and um, what's really cool is and, and going back to the the last dance analogy is the story behind the story and sometimes there's even another story behind that story. That's what I'm excited to get into because the, those kind of things that that I'm still you know I, I've had conversations with Conrad. He's like wow. He said that connects a lot of dots for me, and, and if I can connect some some dots for, for some for, for, you know throughout these stories, I, I, I think at the end of the day, whether it's a wrestling match, a wrestling show, a football game, a basketball game, an MMA fight, if it's not entertaining, nobody's going to come back the next week. It's just that simple. That's the promoter mentality in me that that you know I've always looked at the past and, and say what can I learn from it, what worked, what didn't work. I do know up front this podcast better be entertaining uh, or nobody's going to listen. So weaving in and out of the story behind the story is going to be it's going to be a part of it in a a big way. Yeah. And of course, you mentioned Australia. I forgot about that. So you've got every I mean, Antarctica might be the only continent that you don't have to cover yet. (laughs) In in India, we we left out India and Rink the King and and, and the success that TNA had over there. So. Amazing. Yeah, well, I, I'm hitting all the continents. And, you know, I mean, like for me personally, you know, they they gave this assignment to kind of the old school wrestling guy to do. So, you know, it, it, obviously, like you said, everybody knows the WWF and WCW stuff and TNA. If it was up to me, like I could sit down every week and listen to a show that was just talking about Memphis. I mean, I you know, <laughs> I, I really could. I'm fascinated by I mean, that must have been a hell of a time. I mean, obviously, your father was rooted in that territory long before you were you were in the business i mean oh, yeah. you grew up in it and then here you are and it's sort of like you know the later your active period there is like the later years of of that territory where they're going into their partnership with with vince and all this kind of 
interesting stuff happening. What was that like being a part of Memphis at that time? What's really unique is, uh, again, my, my, uh, you know, you said third generation. My grandmother didn't wrestle, but did a little bit of everything beside wrestle. Uh, but she got into her first paycheck out of the industry was in 1946. So it's really three generations of stories. And and I, I don't have firsthand experience of it, but almost that because it's in the family. And I've heard the discussions and Nick Goulas and Rory Reltz, which were the promoters before my father. And then. He started promoting and then, you know, became partners with Jerry Lawler, you know, the David Letterman story and Andy Kaufman story. And, and then, you know, the Rock and Roll Express and Fabs and Dutch Mantel and Bill Dundee and Jerry Lawler and Austin Idol and Tommy Rich and the Road Warriors and Macho Man and Hulk. And then, like you said, go on up to, uh, you know, Mr. McMahon, M- Mr. McMahon, uh, the chairman. Uh, his very first, um, you know, in that persona was done in Memphis. I was there that night, him and Jerry Lawler. And when, when Vince Colcock uh, uh, Lawler, it, it, you know, the, the, the place came unglued and it was like, wow. But anyway, um, those kind of stories are, are, are really interesting that, you know, my, my very first angle that I was in. Uh, there's a real good story behind the story. I played college basketball and we were in tournaments and I'm driving to Memphis and my coach doesn't know. Uh, that, that I'm actually actively involved in the in the business. Uh, so they're, they're, the Memphis stories are going to be a lot of fun. The Moondog stories, I, the, those those are it was, that's hardcore wrestling before it was hardcore. Uh, we called it hardcore. So uh, lot, lots lots of moving parts in the Memphis days. Oh, definitely. And you know, and I, I'm not trying to date you and have you say your age or anything, but I mean, some of those glory <laughs> years of Memphis, what people think about, like you said, Andy Kaufman and the stuff with Jerry Lawler and. Bill Dundee and Jerry Lawler and all that. Were you, I mean, what was you, how old were you at that time? So, so, so um, I graduated high school in 1985. So I was in high school in the quote unquote glory years, 82, 83, 84, 85. The business was hot from 78, really, really hot. 78, 79, 80, 81. So 78 to about, you know, I'm a kid. Um, But, but, you know, when, when that, crazy amount of talent came under sort of one roof and, and, and literally um, out of a couple of phone calls um, between my father and Bill Watts, Bill Dundee, Terry Taylor, Rock and Roll Express, uh, Dutch Mantel, uh, Jim Cornette, the Midnight Express all went to Louisiana in one fell swoop. And, and that's out of one territory. And, and, you know, that, 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 when you look at all the talent on one roster, so the business was was just red hot. Coco Ware. I mean, I could go on and on about the different names, but uh, it was uh, a really interesting time. Yeah, really, truly, uh, uh, everything coming together just this perfect time. And I mean, stories like that, I'm sure a lot of people are going to want to hear. I'm going to want to hear about it. Um, I guess I have to ask this because it's the first thing I thought of, and maybe this will be my last question, but was there any consideration to calling this podcast Ain't I Great? Because that would have been the first thing that I thought of. <laughs> so Ain't I Great was tabled. Uh, Listen Up Slap Nuts was obviously tabled. Uh, but my world sort of gives it, uh, it's very sponsor friendly. Uh, that goes without saying, uh, ain't I great? Might not have been so sponsor friendly. Slap nuts definitely wouldn't have been sponsor friendly. Um, but I will tell you this. So Conrad gives me a buzz and, you know, starting the business component of this, we have to form an LLC and you're like, what are we going to name it? 
Um, and then out of that came uh, Slap Nuts LLC. So the name of the uh, LLC is called Slap Nuts. So we still got Slap Nuts in the name of something. So ain't I great? That may be uh, maybe a, a, a subscription tier that ain't we great. I don't know. Well, I'm we're, glad we're you doing- got Slap Nuts in there because that, for my money, I just have to say that is – the most underrated catchphrase in the history of wrestling. I really, <laughs> I use it all the time. People don't know what I'm talking about. I call people. There you go. Them. But uh, anyway, um, I just want to thank you anyway, Jeff, for, for taking the time today and talking about this. I know I'm excited about it. I'll be checking it out. And again, the podcast is called My World with Jeff Jarrett. And you said May 4th is right when it. Yep. Tuesday, May 4th. And every Tuesday thereafter that drops new episodes, you can, all my socials are at Real Jeff Jarrett. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and then if you want to go on, on the brand new website that we just launched, it's uh, realjeffjarrett.com. All right. Thank you so much, Jeff, for taking the time to do this. We really appreciate it. Brian, you have a great day, and uh, give it a download. <laughs>